0: Fruits, or five pounds for a pint of fierce, or a daiquiri, any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds! Well, foot there. <laughs> two away. It is Madison. It's a day between Christmas and New Year. I don't even know what day it is, Gav, do you? It's that spell of the year. Yep. Time, dates, all just blends into one. The only thing that's constant is disappointment from Aberdeen FC. Absolutely. Welcome to episode... 78 of the abz football podcast i'm gary scott joining me this week as always it is gavin j baxter gav how's it going that was a grimace after that uh, sip of that beer well it wasn't a grimace it's more of the my own pint pouring skills that, have, uh, that is european is what i'm gonna call that <laughs> uh yeah I'm, I'm i'm okay you know i would love to see i've calmed down from the results at rugby park from what, what we saw but I think I skipped over the anger, anger stage in the in the grief process and just got to acceptance pretty early doors. But uh, it's a new have day. Have you regressed now to anger? No, no, not not at all, not at all. No. Um, just back where I was. But it's a new day, and we're going to talk about the upcoming game in twenty twenty three. When I've got all the confidence in the world, we're going to turn this around. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, as a sign of just how bad things have become as an Aberdeen fan, it's five past seven on uh Thursday night. And I'm already on the hard stuff to talk about this. Um, we are recording this, when Gav just pointed out, 24 hours removed. They're just slightly under 24 hours removed from the latest debacle at Rugby Park on Wednesday. If you want to put yourself through the ringer, you can check out episode 77.5 for our instant reactions to that one. I think a lot of people were surprised, as you say, Gav. I think that the direness of the second half particular had calmed yourself, myself and Graham down a touch, that there was not so much anger uh, or certainly not as much swearing as I think a lot of people expected in that episode. But I'm I'm kind of a bit different from you. I feel actually my anger has been building more today as I've had more time to reflect on that performance yesterday. But hey, there we go. As you say, we're going to take some time now to preview the visit of the mad racist Malky McKay's visit of Dross County to Patology on the 2nd of January. And then after the break, we're going to bring you the latest in our series of my favourite game. This time it's in the company of Tom Watts, who will talk us through Hearts nil, Aberdeen 4 from January 1992, a whole 31 years ago now, and that's not going to age you at all. But this will be hopefully one that will get a few smiles on the collective faces of the Aberdeen support, because Lord knows we need a few of those right now. But first, let's take a look at our preview of Ross County as our first match of 2023 he does see the visit of the Staggies to Portaudry on the 2nd of January with both sides desperately looking for a win to turn around their seasons. Ross County with four defeats in their last five, three out of three since they returned from the World Cup break. And the Dons, as we know, with a similar record of four defeats in our last five, but we've lost all four of our games since the return. Of the cinch. County coming at this one sitting bottom of the pile now after their 3-0 defeat at dundee United on the 28th. And both sides are propping up the league's form table. It did, of course, end in a 1-1 draw in Dingwall earlier in the season. Duke looking to have wrapped all three points up with his late, late overhead kick stunner. But County somehow managed to claw an equaliser back right at the death. Now that one draw... Remains the only draw on our league record so far this season. So what is going on in the Highlands this season? Well, it's a pretty straightforward one, to be honest with you. One, they don't score goals. Just 14 scored so far in their 19 league games, which is the lowest in the league by quite a distance. That averages 0.7 goals per game. And number two, they concede lots of goals. 32 in total, which is the same number as Aberdeen which in turn is the joint third worst record in the league. County so far, only four wins to their name, three draws and 12 defeats. But on the road, they've been performing on par with Aberdeen, which to be fair, isn't saying very much. Two wins, a draw and six defeats in their nine games on the road so far. Those wins coming at Easter Road and Livingston. Their 14 goals scored so far in the league coming from an expected goals of just 13.6. So they are pretty much performing as expected. There, are nine of those goals from open play, four from set pieces and one penalty in the mix as well. Those four goals from set plays also tallies up pretty well with their set piece expected goals of 3.79. But it is the second lowest tally in the league for goals from a set that plays. A short conversion rate. It's a shame Graham's not here because he loves these ones. A short conversion rate of 6.8% as they average just 2.2 shots on target per match Gav is grimacing at this, that is the lowest shots on target that that explains 14 goals for sure it absolutely does, that is the lowest uh, average in the league by quite some distance and they're not creating many chances they've only created 11 big chances across the season so far to date, again Bottom of the pile on that metric. Jordan White, their top scorer, with four goals to his name so far. Uh, Tandanda with the most assists for the Staggies on three. Now, in terms of their defensive frailties, in the main, these are coming in open play. 24 goals conceded from open play against an expected goals against of 21.87. And those 24 goals against from open play is the highest in the league. Doing okay at defending set plays, to be fair. Six goals conceded, which is... The fifth best record in the league. In terms of style, we could probably expect something similar to what St Johnston will do on the seventh as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if these two games pan out in very, very similar ways. County and St Johnston not hanging onto the ball for particularly lengthy passages of play, each averaging just 5.87 seconds per passage, and County are averaging around 2.32 passes. Per sequence, they've only had 57 passages of play across the season so far that have involved 10 or more passes. They do have the third best record in the league in terms of accurate long balls per match, an average of 30.4 per game. For comparison, Aberdeen are the lowest ranked in the league on this metric, just 20.7 for Aberdeen. Looking at their defensive actions, relatively similar to what Kilmarnock were doing up until Wednesday in terms of their willingness to press with intensity, a PPDA of 13.6 places. I'm seventh in the league on that metric to date. Gav, PPDA for our new listeners? Passes per defensive action, of course. Exactly. And the lower number means you're pat, you're pressing with intensity. A higher number means you're kind of being a little bit more passive. So 13.7 passes allowed by Ross Ketty before they initiate a defensive action. It's not a hugely intensive press, but we saw how Kilmarnock adapted their tactics to face us on Wednesday night. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Ross Coy do something similar in that metric can possibly be put to the side, depending on how they decide to approach the game on Monday. The average 12 fouls per match, which is the midpoint in the league, that has produced 39 yellow cards and three red cards so far. And in terms of territory... Uh, we'll put the zones of control graphic up again on Twitter when we release the episode but as you can see Gav, a very similar theme to what we see from a lot of teams in the league to be fair, more than happy to be giving up possession and territory across the park uh, only three blue squares where they dominate possession which is basically inside their own penalty box. Everywhere else being dominated by the opposition or is up for grabs. So yeah, so yeah, basically Ross Laidlaw is their ball player. It looks that way. So with all being said and done what do you think we can expect on, on Monday Gavin I mean Anthony should, should be back from suspension um, there will likely be a huge question mark I imagine over Hayden Colson's fitness after he was hooked against Kilmarnock what do you think do we finally move away from the back three because County have been consistently playing in a 4-2-3-1 off season which with a three at the back system could cause us some problems in the wide areas and a back three seems overkill to match up against one striker and I think now, surely after the game on Wednesday, is the three at the back experiment dead? It has to be, surely. Oh, I mean, if there's a lot willing, to unpack there. <laughs> if you're willing to persist with it to keep, you know, one centre half in the team and two, well, a wing back and a centre midfielder in it, then when you bring back the guy that you basically shifted to that shape for, uh, and you've still got his defensive deficiencies and his. More to the point, ball-playing deficiencies coming back. If Stuart's available as captain, I'm sure he comes back into the team. So, yeah, knowing that Stuart's likely going to come back in, I would prefer to see us switch to the back four with Stuart and Scales in the centre and just get Ross McCrory back into the middle of the park. Um, It all depends on a lot of things. you know. Stuart's coming back, if Leighton Clarkson's available, I would like to see a midfield three of... Ramadani, McCrory, and Leighton Clarkson. I think Conor Barron needs to be taken out of the team. His form yeah. has not been up to what we'd expect. Um, seems like his whether his head's been turned by all the speculation around his future, I don't know, or just not in form. Whatever it is, he's not been in effect recently. Leighton Clarkson's been uh, the far better option. I kind of just want us to get back to the way that we shaped up to With and attack these games. I mean... Ross County, by every uh, in every sense, right now the worst team in the league. Um, I've did a little bit of research before we started talking about this and watched their three most recent games. United um, the other night, horrendous all round. Rangers maybe a little bit better, but still gave away a pretty soft goal. And then then if you saw them against St Johnston, but it's kind of like a carbon copy of ourselves against St Mirren, where they go one nil up and then Jack Baldwin. Their centre half Billez on the ball. St Johnston attacker gets in. Baldwin hauls him down. Red card. Um, same exact same thing that happened with that in his shirt. On paper, you know, when you look at their form, it it, it's, it feels like the perfect team to come up against at home, where we have been a lot better. But I think we need to go into this game with a lot more intent and to get just get some attacking players on the pitch. And I think the way we do that is to get have four at the back as your foundation. So. Saying that then, in terms of what what would you like to see in terms of a more attacking presence on the pitch? How do you think we, what sort of system do you think we should move to if we try to play with a four at the back? And then I guess that leads to a bigger question, which is how do you get certain players onto the park that I think we all want to see, i.e. probably Duke is probably the main one, I think. How, how do you manage to shoehorn all that together, do you think? Um. Well, let's assume that um, Hayden Colson's not available. And let's just go ahead and assume that Clarkson is available. Um, I think... Oh, God, do I put, do you put Richardson in here? Oh, it's hard. It's hard, it's hard from the very beginning. Uh, Kennedy. Kennedy. <laughs> um, stick with him right back. Not great, but not ideal situation. But, you know, my faith in Jaden Richardson is at an all-time low after his contributions against Rangers. Let's just say okay. that. Fair enough. Uh, Stewart scales. I mean, it's not necessarily wide ideally like to do but I imagine this is what's going to happen it'll be Stuart Scales in the centre McKenzie left back I guess and then yeah just get some I feel like we've been overrun in midfield for so long now and the best way to counteract that as our Bream team is to get McCrory and Ramadani back together again give us a foundation protect the defence yeah. and also give yourself um, kind of an or the option of McCrory's running power from midfield to to cause more of a threat in the in the opposition half. And then from there, you know, I think I've got Leighton Clarkson perhaps playing closer to a 10 kind of role. And then, you know, you can kind of take your pick from any of the attacking wingers. Um I thought Vinny came on and didn't really do a whole lot. No, he, he did Against Calark, he kind of came on and did what he's done for what feels like most of his time he's got more involved in the opposition players and yeah trying to win fouls and Getting involved in confrontations rather than just you know getting his foot on the ball and showing us what he can do with it. Um, the the quandary of the Duke Miowski partnership that is the that is the thing, and it's the big issue with trying to shift it. It almost feels to me we've almost persisted with the three five two in order to be able to have both of them playing centrally up top. But I think I think in one weird way it's been to the detriment of Miowski. I think it's. Like the entire team, when it's worked, it's looked great, but it's probably not worked as often as we'd hoped it would do. Um but that's the thing, isn't it? From a from an open play perspective, the three five two is not suiting Miofsky at all because his game is clearly much more around being the target, being not a target man, but being getting into the box and having balls getting thrown into the box from wide areas for him. Yep, yep. And that's not happened at all since we moved to three five two. No, and it's that's the, the difficult thing with this would be which one do you drop? Because I, I don't think we're going to get the full effect of Duke if we have him out on the wide, either right or left. And clearly Miofsky is not going to be able to do either of those roles either. No. So uh, on the balance of it, I think I would tend to, if I had to drop one... Do you have to be... drop one, though? <sighs> Can you possibly play Duke as the wide player in the in a three either off the left or the right but accept the fact that he's probably not going to do a lot defensively and he's probably not going to hug the touchline he's probably going to want to come inside a lot because he's he's very much a central player yeah and you kind of just have to accept the fact that's what's going to happen you have to have a solid base behind him on the on, on whatever flank he's on and you have genuine real width on the opposite flank to where he is I, I don't think you would suffer with the sense of tracking back. I think, we obviously think uh, Duke sorry, is a very hard-working player in his defensive work. But it comes back to the whole issue of, well, recruitment and all these kind of players, and yet we're going to try and fit a square peg into a round hole by playing a centre-forward on the wide areas. You know, again, we're just kind of crowbarring these two players. And I don't think you're going to get the best out of either of them. Well, you're not going to get the best out of Duke having him out wide. And no. Miofsky's just not been at it for a while now and but you don't get I, the, I don't think you get the best at Miofsky by asking to play in a two this way well yeah I get that but you know when it comes down to it you know there's one of them's one of them's been performing and the other one's not really been and seems uh counterintuitive that you drop the one that's that's not in form that one that yeah. is in form sorry uh in favor of the one that's you know not been at it for a while um I guess the flip side to this would be that you go back to kind of something similar to what we were doing earlier in the season which is you go with Miofsky as your as your striker and then you always have Duke off the bench for the last 30 minutes so after a team have got used to playing against Miofsky for 60 minutes then they've got a whole other list of concerns when you bring Duke into the fold it won't be a popular decision amongst the supporters because everybody yeah. loves Duke this is the thing I think it would be a brave call for an under pressure manager to make oh, I don't disagree about that and but do- I have and if it didn't go well, then yeah, hopeful. which which is which is the big risk. But we have to do something different, don't wait At the moment, and we've become far too predictable in recent weeks as well with yep. the way we play. Um, yep. Duke's not been, you know, Duke's not been brilliant either. There was flashes against Rangers where he did well. He scores a great goal, obviously. Don't get me wrong. He did nothing at at Rugby Park, um, and he appears to be. You know, people are not really focusing on Duke at all from that perspective. I've seen again. I've seen me obviously getting a lot of flack for Rugby Park. Um, I don't, I don't think he had anything to work with at all. And I've seen people saying, "Well, he should be dropping deep and collecting the ball and running up the park." And it's like, that's not his game. He's not that kind of player. If you watch him, um, that's what Duke can do, unquestionably. Yeah. Um, they're different types of players, and and you need different types of players in your team. I but I, I didn't think Duke had a good game at Rugby Park. No one had a good game at Rugby no, Park. No, I just think no. it's an interesting conundrum. Again, we've we've stumbled into a position where we are playing with this back three, primarily to, I think, protect Anthony Stewart and his limited abilities with the ball at his feet, and possibly as well to try and protect Jaden Richardson in terms of the level of defensive work he was being required to do at right back and give him more ability to get forward. But I don't think he's been getting forward enough. Same for Colson on the other side. And conversely, it's affected us at the top end of the park. Uh, entirely agree. I think when it comes back to the uh, the shape again and the personnel, the white areas then do become hard. It's been banging, been flying the flag for the Ryan Duncan fan club for so long now, but once again he wasn't great. At rugby park, um, then he wasn't great. I mean, yeah, times like this, I'm glad I'm not an Aberdeen manager. Let's just say that. Well, which is which is, I mean, no one's gonna try and pretend it's an easy gig. You know, this is difficult. The team's in a rut. The team are struggling for confidence to kind of get out of this position we're in at the moment. I don't think Jim Goodwin, we recorded our instant reaction before we'd heard the Jim Goodwin post-match press conferences. I wish in one way we'd maybe actually listen to them because I think that the anger might have been bubbling further to the surface having heard them. Um, I was very surprised that he didn't really throw the team under the bus in a lot of those post-matchers, which, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it is the guys who cross the white line who have to bear the brunt of performance they didn't perform in the park but i was like for a manager under pressure coming out and having a dig at your players is often not the best way to decide to go and it didn't strike me as being the most sensible piece of man management let's put it that way um but now you're in a position where we've got a number of days to work with the squad with what we have available to us ahead of Monday, he needs to figure this out pretty quickly. And this is a huge conundrum about the shape, I think. I really do mm-hmm. think it's a massive issue. But the fact, we laid it out after the submitting game, the facts are that the back three is not helping us in any way, shape, or form. We've not been better on any metric with the back three. So why persist with it? No, and, you know, critically as well, we're not any better defensively, and we're losing our ability to control the game in the middle of the park, because Ramadani's not up to doing it by himself, and yet Barron's not been at it for... Well, I feel like Ramadani's been having to carry Barron. Well, I mean... And, and Clarkson, defensively, to be fair. Well, that might be true, but still some of his work's been abject as well. But it's it's clearly not working. And we're losing... We're getting over on the midfield every single week. Yeah. And the way to, the way to counteract that is to bolster the midfield with more presence. And, you know... And Ross McCrory's not been great either. Let's let's be brutally honest. Ross McCrory's not been good either for weeks. But I don't think... I I do not fundamentally believe he is a defender. Well, of course he's not. That's why we've all been here for (laughs) so many weeks now saying, why is this guy playing in defence? Why is this guy playing right back when... And, and, And even when he's not playing well, there are still signs. We saw it, St Mirren, on Saturday. We saw it actually yesterday as well that if you give him the ball at his feet, he has the ability to drive past players. And he has the ability to to beat a player, beat a man in the midfield and kind of move the move the play along a little bit more. And we're just lacking that so badly in the midfield. It's not Ramadani's game to do that. You know, we 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 heard from Lee Scott in particular when when we spoke to Lee about the the attributes that stuck that that, that jumped out it Ramadani when they were looking at him. And it's not that. It's we do need a player in there who can get their foot in the ball and drive past that player. And Baron's not doing it, and it's not really Clarkson's game either. I don't think. No, nope, no. Nope. Clarkson's trying it, but he's not. Yeah. but it's not coming off from that deep lying position. It's not his game. I yeah. think if you were facing him up in a number ten role against a, a against a guy who he can maybe drop a shoulder and take someone, I think he could do that. But I don't really feel it's his game from driving from deep. So the system has has, has led to a whole number of problems, and I think this will be a big test as well for him. Around, we've seen a lot of people in the last twenty four hours in particular talk about Jim Goodwin's stubbornness. And I think this is a key question about the stubbornness. Does he recognise that this system, this shape, is not working? Do we need to play as Aberdeen Football Club and with no disrespect to Ross Cotty? And I know that every time you say with no disrespect to blah, you're about to say something disrespectful. But we're playing the worst team objectively in the league on Monday. We're both in horrendous runs of form. Do we really need to set up with a back three to play at home against Ross County. We should be putting ourselves on the front foot as best we can and taking this game to Ross County. It's a huge game for Jim Goodwin. I genuinely feel if we take nothing but a win on Monday, he's done. I already feel he's done now anyway. I feel now it's a matter of when, not if. But I think that the whole process becomes accelerated if you do not win on Monday against Ross County. Back three would be fine if there was any real evidence to suggest that it makes us a more threatening side. And that's not there. So, of course, if Ross Kennedy are going to come and play the way we imagine they're going to come and play with the one up top, we have to be on the front foot from the very first whistle. And the way to do that is the setup we went with at the beginning of the season with, you know, a striker, three outright attacking players behind him, a threat from midfield and a threat from the flanks, from, from our wide uh, fullbacks. Anything else than that is, you know, it's not a good look for from an Aberdeen manager against a team that are as bad as us at, at the moment. Um, yeah. It's the it's not the immovable object versus the irresistible force. It's two wet paper bags coming together <laughs> to create a bag of shit. Are, are there any more things that he needs to be looking at? You know, is it time well, for... I, mean, I think when you talk about stubbornness and we can talk about systems, but I think personnel is another thing we just need to look at. I think some people have had an easy ride from support and also from the manager and that number one position. Well, I was going to ask you about this. Is it time? Does he consider? I don't, if, uh, Did Kelro's really do much wrong at Rugby Park? Well, I mean... Well, he knocked the ball to a Kilmarnock attacker on the 18-yard line. Was that second half? Yep. Yeah, I'd kind of, uh, I, I mentally switched off in the second half, so I can't with, even remember much about it. Pretty also, much I was if, also pretty pissed, so... <laughs> uh, pretty much every... You know, for the guy that's so great with the ball at his feet, either found touch or, you know. Yeah, he was smashing the ball at the park a lot, especially for Ash Taylor's, athlete. or it was just like a, a cruise missile for Ash Taylor's head. <laughs> yeah. Um, And I mean, he, there's a moment in the first half he comes to. Remember, like Peter Schweigl had that thing when it, a one on one, he would just like really spread himself and jump. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did that only, opposite of spreading himself. He, just yeah, made, he made himself, himself as like narrow smaller. as possible um, and could have easily conceded. I mean, that guy. No, no. You're not a he's fan, that, are you? He's of that, he, Kelrus at all. Well, I mean, I think I rated him at a five when we did this. Yeah. We did our little rating, and trust me, that has plummeted since then. He's had a lot of opportunities. We're not you talk about a team that's conceded, you know, what, 32 goals, a shocking defense record, and you know, there's there's goals in there that are they don't paint Kelrus in a in a favorable picture. People will point on this one, Gavin, and I'm gonna do this because I know there'll be people out there who'll do this. People will point to this to the hashtag data. Around Kelrus. Karius is one of the top performing goalkeepers in the league At this moment in time On the data Right And Joe Lewis's statistics last season As we went over and over and over again Were horrendous But Is this A situation where The data can tell you one thing But when you actually watch a player When you actually watch what's going on They don't really mean a huge amount any longer This is a situation where the data can go fuck itself <laughs> There's, there's no way if if me as a supporter watching ourselves in defence can take absolutely zero confidence from Kelrus, I don't see how our defence possibly can. He's had plenty of opportunities and he just gives you the fear. I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to... I'll do the work for Graham because he's not here tonight. We haven't upgraded our goalkeeper. Joe Lewis did not have a good year last year, but fucking barely Nobody anyone did. did. And, this, and, the, and the data does not show... It doesn't tell the full story of what yeah. happened last year with Joe Lewis. People always hang their hats on the fact that Joe Lewis's save percentage last season was horrendous. But this goes back to the context question, which was always, you need to look at how many shots he actually faced in a game. And okay, yeah, did he concede the only shot he faced in a game sometimes? Yeah, he did. But when you went back and actually looked at it, how many of those could you actually point your finger and say, he should have saved that? There were... Very few that I can remember that I genuinely would have pointed my finger at Lewis and said he should have done better than that. The ones that jump out for me are probably St. Johnson at home when Stevie May like, scores a 30-yarder that trundles past at about six miles an hour. It goes right in the corner, but Lewis should do better with that. That's kind of the only one I really remember looking at last season. St. and, and Curtis-Main. Yeah, St. Ben and Curtis-Main. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good shout. Um, the one where he comes for the, for the kind of cross and well, I don't know what he's doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that one he kelruses it yeah, that, that's absolutely fair enough That so that's two I think I can point my finger at that I would say were genuinely his fault well, remember that Lee Griffiths free kick that he should have had a wall for yeah, I can't remember who it was that was blaming him for that one never mind, anyway
1: um,
0: the, st- the statistics, yeah, will show you his shot percentage saves last season were horrendous but I, in context you have to look at the goals, you have to look at defending what's going on in front of him, you have to look at lots of different factors there. The only thing, and Graham said it before, the only thing I see that Kelroos brings to the table that is an upgrade on Joe Lewis at this moment in time is the ball at his feet. And that's even been, then, it rugby and that's been shocking recently as well. It has, absolutely. And, and that's not really, you're right, it doesn't stand up to scrutiny much longer. Um. Can, can I say one thing? I just realized, I, I felt we were about to go through the team here, but can I have a good old chuckle about this one? Well, there's two things actually. First, Matty Kennedy attempted to noise up the home support after scoring last night. What are you doing? Um, I mean, they were, I, f- I think he'd been getting a bit tight. He's an ex-killy player. He's an player. Um, but, but you're 2 nil down when you scored that, Matty. This is not, this This struck me as being, this. this reminded me very much of Mark Kerr, Scoring against Kilmarnock, I think, as Aberdeen captain, and running to the south stand and giving it the "get it right up" you gesture and pointing to the back of his shirt as if we didn't know who the useless—can I use that word? I think everyone knows what word you're using. Use the bleat function as though we didn't know who the useless <laughs> was, right? Having watched him for the entire season, and then we went on to be beaten two-one anyway by Kilmarnock. So it made a, not a jot. It reminded me of that most futile of. Get it up, yous, yeah. which means nothing. Don't do that again, stupidness. There's a and, there's a there's a time for defiance, and off the back of the Abbey performance last night, that's not it. That was not it. And Christian Mirez pissing himself laughing after sticking a 15-yard effort about 20 yards over the goal. A good fucking look once again from our American striker, who seems to find a lot of fucking things very amusing at this moment in time. Um, is there anyone else from a uh, a personnel perspective Who you think needs to be looked at. I think we, we've touched on Roos, Baron's another one at the moment. I think yeah. Barron is causing more problems than he's providing us benefit at this moment in time. Um to agree. I think there's a I think you could you could easily go through the entirety but the issue then is, you know, who do you play? <laughs> <laughs> Our options are then yeah, limited. Scales um, has been poor recently. Scale, scales was poor I mean Scales reminded me of that poor guy what was his name? Young Portuguese lad Sanchez when he played for Swansea and had an absolute mayor. And remember, <laughs> when when like passed, remember when he passed? Everybody passed the ball into the advertising because He thought the Carabao logo was a yeah. Swansea City player. Yeah, Scales did the exact same thing last night. It was like an yeah. easy pass early on second half. You know, let's get the setter stall. Start the game with the front foot, and your ball play. playing centre half yeah. passes it straight to play ten yards behind Mackenzie um, or whoever the fuck it was. Colson was poor last night, but I think I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he was fit. Um He, he wasn't, and you know, that's where, where have we heard that one before? Yeah. Um Mackenzie, I thought was I saw people praising McKenzie. He was, McKenzie was last poor night. last night. Um, um Duke wasn't great. He I didn't. I Duke. didn't think much of Ramadani I didn't think much of. I thought Ramadani was our best player last night again. Yeah, I some, genuinely did. I yeah. like. I know. I know what you were gonna say about this, but yeah. When when I, I, I watched f- when I watched him trundling over to the right winger and rather than putting his in a tackle, she putting his hands behind his back. I was thinking, yeah, that's what I want to see. Um, it's, it's, there were moments last night where he he wasn't great I'd not deny yeah, that this, yeah we can, we can go through this easily and dissect each player and just say listen terrible 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 yeah. terrible, terrible terrible we don't have a huge squad at the end of the day oh, we've got a huge what, squad of wingers whatever well what I was going to say we do have but you know I think it'll be a bold call to put Shade Morris at centre back tomorrow night I guess Fox County <laughs> things um, you want to see <laughs> yeah l- listen yeah you could personnel-wise, yeah, everyone needs to have a look at themselves. I think, you know, you can say whether it was a tactical thing or the right thing for Jim Goodwin to say, but those players do need to have a good look at themselves. It's easy to say that they still got set up this way and the system's on, but if you go into a game with that lacking, that lacking of, you know, fight and the basics, I I I, I hate to, like, always draw Aberdeen back to our meaningless games of fives. But when we play somebody fives, a- I saw somebody criticising this the other day. By the way, it was too much. Somebody, somebody said there was like too many like in jokes about goals. Of course, they're in jokes for fuck's sake. Of course they are. Fucking hell, man. Anyway, if we playing fives on a Thursday for the sheer fun of it, if there are personalities within that group who I know are desperate to win, a you know, you know. A week-to-week game of fives where the teams change every week. And I don't see that when for people who are paid in some cases very handsomely to uh, to have the honor of playing for our team, then you know, those players need to have a good long look at themselves and what they want to achieve from not just their time at Aberdeen, but their time in football as a whole. Um I suspect they're gonna a number of them are gonna get the chance to begin to redeem themselves. Um I can't say I have the the greatest sense of optimism that's actually gonna happen when we come to when we come to Monday night. Monday afternoon, sorry. Based on that then, um what wonderfully depressing preview this has been. Based on that, um what do you expect? What do you want to see? What what actually will I mean, three points is a must. I I think that's undeniable. But what do you really wanna see out of our team on Monday night? Monday afternoon, sorry, three o'clock kickoff. Yeah, keep getting mixed up here. Yeah, likewise. It's It sounds so cliche and so obvious, but yeah, a team that looks like they are they want to wear the shirt quite simply. Um, a manager that sets us up in a manner where we go and attack the game, where we don't bluff our way through 30 minutes of Ross County, you know, dominating possession and narrowly avoid going behind. And then, you know, perhaps, I don't know, one of their center backs or one of the midfielders gets sent off and we can take the game from there. A real, a real performance, a real 90-minute performance. We well, haven't, haven't, seen haven't seen a 90-minute performance in so, so long now. I don't think we've seen a 90-minute performance all season. I think you can go back two seasons. I think the last one might have been heckin heckin I was going to say heckin It <laughs> was probably it. First day against heckin Yeah. Ah, memories. When, uh, when Jet was causing them torment. You know where Jet's not causing torment? India. India. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. I do keep having a little lookout to see how he's doing. One goal in eleven, and I believe they're second bottom in the league. I didn't realize that A. D. Boothroyd was his manager,
1: which yeah, now well, makes I, I way think... more
0: sense about how he's ended up there. Yeah, I, th- I have a feeling they might have worked together somewhere else before. Well, I would have thought Boothroyd used to be part of the England under twenty one eighteen setup, didn't he? Which would have been around I the time that know. probably Jet was probably coming through the Arsenal. You set up, so I suspect they probably know each other from from there. Um, yeah, back in the days when Arsene Wenger was talking about how he was going to be an immense talent. Yeah, yeah, it's not really worked out for him, has it? Although he's still probably doing quite well off his second year Aberdeen salary. So you know, there we are. That's I didn't expect us to go down a jet ja- a jet ja- a jet rabbit hole this evening, but there yeah, we are. Next, next we can go down a jack girl rabbit hole. Why not? It' doing all right for a team who did okay in their league last season. Got to the equivalent of the FA Cup final in America. There you go. What does Lord, that say? Damn. Indeed. Uh, okay, Gav, do you want to venture a prediction then for Monday night? Um, Monday afternoon. Monday afternoon. why are you doing that? <laughs> um, it's because because it's on Monday. It shouldn't be at three o'clock. Yes, exactly. Obviously. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there we go. I don't know. I don't know. Um, it could go any one of many many ways. I feel could be a horrendous nil-nil draw that gets football shut down as an entertainment vehicle. Could be just goals. <laughs> Why <an> entertainment multi-platform <laughs> vehicle? Could be goals. Why it could be a scrappy one 0 win to either team. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hope and pray to any of the deities out there that might be listening. 1-0 Aberdeen Oof, 1-0, okay I'm going to go it's going to be Aberdeen 0 Ross County 0 horrendous horrendous afternoon if it, we'll play three at the back it'll be terrible the pressure builds nothing happens <laughs> and we limp on into the January transfer window we'll sign a couple of jobbers from Leagues 2 and the Premier League who hasn't played in God knows how long and nothing will change and we'll get to february and we'll get knocked out of the scotch cup emerald and the cycle will repeat <laughs> there we <laughs> go that's good and then we can bring in steven jenner uh um, sean dyke, dyke. i've seen i've seen people today doing the sean Dyke thing like seriously there's absolutely no danger that stone cold sean dyke is dyke 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 i was as soon as i said dyke i've began to question myself yeah, it's Sean Dyche. Dyke isn't it? no Sean Dyche Dyche I think it's Dyche that's way too continental for him <laughs> I need to look this up now it's, he's been out of the game for so long <laughs> when's he gonna get back in the game when's he gonna get back in the game Dyche Dyche yeah Oh wait a minute hang on are you are just, you just looking at a Dyke? spelling of his name and deciding it's Dyche No, I was looking at how do you pronounce Sean Dyke Sean Dyke yeah I think you're right, right actually but yeah, there have been some outrageous shouts on the old theoretical next manager. There have been. That's absolutely the case. Uh, anyway, I'm pretty sure someone suggests we should get Thomas Tuchel in earlier. Oh, wait, there's a video of him prepared. There's a video of him here. How he it? Deitch. Deitch. That's how he pronounces it himself. There we go. Anyway, anyone I, I, who thinks I, Stone, Cold I don't is accept that. Sean Deitch. I don't accept that. I'll share the link with you right now. Um. Anyone that thinks that he's going to be coming anywhere near that, but he needs their head checked. I'm not going to lie. Um, some outrageous shouts during the rest of the day, especially when you consider that the, the shortlist will probably consist of Jack Ross, Jack Ross, Tam Court, Sean Maloney, Dave, David Martindale, and Dave Cormack putting himself in charge. Stephen with a V window pane. Outstanding candidate. Anyway. Are we done now? I think we're done. Uh, Much like potentially James Michael Goodwin. Let's move on. And that does actually wrap up the first half of this week's ABC People podcast. Uh, Thanks for sticking with us because we've ended up being a lot more down the rabbit hole side of things than I thought we were going to be this evening. It's amazing what drink can do, isn't it? Join us on the other side where we will bring you the latest in our line of my favorite game segments this time. With Tom Watt. Welcome back to the EPZ Football podcast and uh, before we move on to my favorite game with tom watt just a quick shout out to our regular contributors to the abz football podcast beer and coffee fund we see you your breads appreciated. if you would like to help us keep fuel in beers or coffees or for this evening whiskey then please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash abz football podcast the link is in the description shout out to a beer or coffee or whiskey is much appreciated and on that a quick shout out to mark robertson who we did get to meet uh, who's been a very, very, very generous contributor to the uh, being in coffee fund to date? But we got a chance to meet Mark while he was over from the US uh, pre-game before the Rangers game, and I completely forgot. Uh, my apologies, Mark, to recognise this in the last episode. So, just uh, nice to meet you. I think you're back in the states now. Um, all the very best for the new year, etc. Mark. And now we've had a really, really good uh, response to our first set of installments of My Favourite Game. That was with Duncan Shearer and with Martin Stone. Tonight, we've got Tom Watt, who's going to bring you... His favourite game it is Hearts Snell Aberdeen 4 from January 1992. I will put the YouTube link for the highlights into the description of the podcast. I'll tweet it out as well when this goes out so you can go back, have a look at the clip of this game in particular it's a great one. It's a doozy. It's not one that I think many people would have expected to be picked out, but uh, Tom's reasons for doing it are brilliant. And if you would like to get involved, please hit us up on Twitter, email us at abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com. With your game, why you've picked it, as we say all the time, it can be for any reason. It can be your first game. There could be something daft about it. There might be something sentimental about it. Whatever it might be, give us a shout. We'll get you on. But Gav, I'm sure you'll agree. This is a doozy. Oh, Always great when Tom's on our show. Always great when Tom's on. This comes at a time when Aberdeen were struggling a little bit, actually, to be fair, in the 91-92 season. The ghost of May 1991 is still very much there in the reckoning. Jockey Scott has departed the scene to head to Dunfermline. and Alex Smith is just still hanging on by his fingernails. Aberdeen visit a heart side who are flying at the top of the table and stop laughing at the back. Genuinely think they might be about to win the league this season before the dandy Dons rock up and put them to the sword. It's a great one. Here it is. It's my favorite game with Tom Watt. Tom, welcome back to the ABZ football podcast here to talk about your favorite game. It comes from January 11th, 1992. The Dons trammed to Tynecastle. Languishing in sixth spot, hangover from the final day, title that Ibrox is still hanging over us. It's fair to say.
1: Yeah, um, it's not been a particularly vintage season in the in the run up. I mean, I think what well, a bad run of form in the run up. Just and Hearts are flying. I think Hearts are top of the league. Um, hearts are top
0: of the table. Yes, absolutely. Two points clear, Rangers. At this point, going at this game, they've only lost two games all season as well.
1: Yeah, and and very, you know, very heavily favoured uh, in this as well. But Aberdeen have not been on a good run of form in, in the slightest. Um, Noble for a few for a, for a few reasons, kind of for the status. was I, I think it was it was was it possibly the Alex McLeish's last game. He went off injured. I don't know. if He, he maybe came back for I uh, made like one more, but I think it was one. It was one of if not Alex McLeish's last match. Um, he got injured during the game. Gary Smith came on. Um, but yeah, Hearts are going in absolutely flying. They've got probably the, they've got, they've got a team of, of internationals. Um, it's probably the best team they'd had they had in the 90s and there were a few decent Hearts sides in the 90s and Aberdeen are not doing particularly well. Um, it was roundabout, like, so the, the season previous was the first time I'd started going. And it was my mum that always took us to games. So it's me and my brother, and my mum always used to take us to games. Um, I got, like, I, 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 I kind of grew up in France. So I got the family um, blessing, and in the eighties, and and course <laughs> in the nineties of being an Aberdeen fan because my mum was an Aberdeen fan. My granddad was a huge Aberdeen fan. Uh, legend has it that him, my granddad, and my cousin, when I was born in 1981 uh, shortly after that would just try and get me to say Willie Miller. Um, <laughs> so that like my, my party trick would be who's the best player in the world. And I would say Willie Miller and I was only, I don't know, 18 months old. Yes. So um, yeah, I, I, it was kind of, it was easy at that time. Um, but oh, so it was only when we came back to Scotland in the sort of the 91, 92, okay. that my mum started taking us to games um, and yeah, it was me and my, my my younger brother who's a, a couple of years younger than me, and uh, we lived in the Central Belt. So most of them were like she didn't really fancy going to the Rangers games. So so we'd always go to like Hearts, Hibs, Dunfermline, uh, Saint Mirren, and I think she initially she sort of thought as I'll take take the boys along, and then started enjoying it. And we were always going to go to this this Hearts game. And I was feeling quite... like I did not like us losing. I did okay. not like ter- turning up. I, you know, I was t- not even... I doing mean, what, 10 at this point? I was going to
0: say, what, you're 10, 11, yeah. 10.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so would not have enjoyed us. Uh, did not. I, I was feeling quite, like, uh, overawed by the idea of this. I didn't fancy going to see us. And at that point, Tyne Castle was... Um, in no way shape or form what it's like at the moment i mean the, no, away, I know. the away end was uh w- w- was all standing um it was exposed to the elements it was, it was firm... the opposite
0: end from what you're used to now yeah. as well was yeah. the other end
1: um so yeah the away end was the other end um it was it was pretty primitive um but you were very very close to the pitch and my over my, my main memory from the first half was just how close we were to Theo Snelders. And you could hear everything he said, you know, regularly shouting, nothing silly. And uh, out, oot, oot. Um, so, but my mum had said, no, we, we will win. We'll definitely win. And this amazing confidence. Um, and Aberdeen absolutely destroyed Hearts. It was 4-0. It was four 0 going on a lot more than that. Um, suddenly the team kind of clicked, and it, there hadn't really been any indication that that was uh, that, that was a possibility in the in the kind of in the matches um, leading up to it. And it was the best of. It may not it may not have been the best individual performances from guys like you know the Jess Hillhouse. Booth all started. Um, Paul Mason had an amazing game. Um, I remember. I remember Stuart McKinney having a really good game, but it was, it was a, it was just a different sort of football than it had yeah. been all season. It was so quick on the counter attack, and. All these Hearts players that are, you know, were Scotland internationals. Henry Smith was ripped to bits. Uh, Tosh McKinley was absolutely ripped. Dave McPherson looked just like he he visibly aged that day. <laughs> um, I, and the first half was a bit more was was fairly even ish or was a little more even, Aberdeen scored. And from that point on, it was four. It could have been seven. Yeah. Um, and it was the end of Hearts' challenge. You know, that that they, they never even came close to to looking like they were going to recover from that. So it's just an amazing, amazing atmosphere.
0: Let's jump back really quickly, and then we can maybe kind of go a bit more into detail in the game itself. So as you kind of touched on, it's not been a vintage season for us. Jockey Scott had left the club early in the season. Alex Smith is left in sole charge. Um, indeed, within a month of this game, Alex Smith is gone, um, becoming the first Aberdeen manager to ever be sacked. And like you say, we, can, like, we came into this game with only one win in our last nine league games, which included a 4-0 hammering at Tanadice just two weeks before that. We touched on our hearts, came in, top of the table, two points clear of Rangers. We'd lost only two games that season. They'd conceded only 19 goals in 28 league games to that point as well. And the Jambos, no laughing at the back. Are dreaming of a first top flight title since 1960 coming into this one. Um, you've touched on it. You were kind of ten, probably going into this one, Tom. Who would have been your favourite player in the Don squad at this time, running into this game?
1: Uh it probably was Neil Snelders. I mean, I I used to play goal, so it probably was Neil Snelders at that time. But Ian Jess and and Scott Booth as well. We used to have um, if we went to the games in in Edinburgh. Um. If you come over the fourth bridge, you used to have to pay on the tolls either yep, way. Yes. And my mum had a um, superstition that we had to go into booth number nine if we were going.
0: They, all,
1: they <laughs> were all numbered. Yeah, I think there was they were numbered one to five one way in and like six to ten on the way uh, on the way out. So we had to go into booth number nine. And so she, yeah, she was a big Scott Booth fan. But yeah, it was probably it was Theo Snell was my favourite player, but I mean I, Ian Jess was like the, the the kind of catalyst for it all
0: absolutely Don's line up on the day Theo Ingalls uh, back line of Shirt McKimmy uh, David Winnie on the flanks Alex McLeish and Brian Irvin in the centre uh, midfield three of Paul Mason Paul Kane and Brian Grant with the aforementioned Scott Booth Ian and Hans Hill House up top and I had a lot of pleasure going back to watch the highlights on this one again um, I'd completely forgotten about this game until you brought it up Um And we're pretty much in control of the game from the off. Um, Despite the fact Alex Bautista had to go off like you touched on earlier on, he goes off after 35 minutes replaced by Gary Smith. We finally make the breakthrough in 39 minutes and when we were messaging each other to talk about what game you were going to pick, you touched on this one. Perhaps never regarded as amongst Ian Jess's finest goals, but this is a beauty from Jess on 39 minutes.
1: It's a fantastic goal. I mean, all of them as well were... Even even though there's some unbelievably good bits of of uh solo mm-hmm. solo you know solo play in the, but the pace of it all the pace of it all and the directness of it all as well like the, just how and you know like touching it but like henry smith was a scotland international uh and um, alan mclaren was a Scottish international Tosh mckinley was a scotland international craig levine um gary Mackay, dave mcpherson um john robertson all were all scotland internationals at I'm not sure Derek was more. I'm pretty sure he wasn't, but um, there were. It was a really, really strong heart side, yeah. especially defensively. The, you know that that defense was. You know, they, they were three of those. The, those aforementioned players went on to play for uh, play for the old firm, um, and the and Ian Jess in particular absolutely <laughs> tortured them. And yeah. um, they did not know what to do. And he was. He was play like you don't even really know where he's playing, you know. And in, the, in, a, in a, I was far too young at the time to know necessarily about uh, systems or anything like that. But he seems to be everywhere from the halfway line to the six-yard box and playing on both wings. And this the amount of space that he manages to find for himself it is unbelievable. And I think, like I always. The 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 kind of E highlight reels are always like you know the, the goal against Rangers or or some yeah. of the free kicks or uh, you know the two goals against Ra- Rangers two particularly famous ones but there's not enough of one of the things that he did best and we haven't really had a player like this in, in Scottish football maybe other than someone like James McFadden was winning the ball from deep and just driving driving at people, at people. Yeah. pushing them back pushing them back and. If you can, you know, if you shut him down one side, he will, he'll turn, and you know, was very two footed, was could bring other people in, and he did that throughout the game. But you know, the first goal is is Jess at his best.
0: It's brilliant. Kla- latches onto a long ball, collects it just outside the kind of centre circle, um, lobs Dave McPherson. Dave McPherson is a horrendous afternoon, does he? Let's be honest. Absolutely. collects it on the other side. And then just lobs Henry Smith with the kind of, almost like a pass in the top corner. It's not even like a proper chip, but it's just a beautiful lofted finish from about twenty two yards. Brilliant stuff. Gave me a massive smile watching back. It's been so long since I'd seen it. And I was just like, ah, there we go. Because I think you're right. I think it's everyone thinks about the, the goal, at Rangers, or the two goals against Rangers. It's like the four goals against Dunferman and stuff like that. The ones that always actually stick out for me, for me and Jess. That kind of just directness and amazing ability to keep the ball at his feet no matter what's happening all around him and the calmness and like presence of mind to just see what's happening in front of him and this goal was a perfect example henry Smith, i don't know what he's doing he's taking the dog for a walk um <laughs> and he just stops and it's like when you look back at it now you're like ah that actually looks like quite a nice simple finish even i could do that um it's brilliant stuff halftime 1-0 and in the second half, we make it two really quickly. And this is what you talked about earlier on as well, um, Tom. And that second half, especially the goals, the counter-attacking from us and the, the sheer pace that we broke with is terrifying. The second goal, Heelhouse is the one who bursts forward, leaves McPherson looking like a right old donkey, I'm afraid to say. His cutback is finished by Booth. It takes a massive loop and deflection off of Craig Levine over Henry Smith. But it's one of those goals, if you're in the terrace and behind, the ba- behind the goal there, as soon as it hits Levine, you know it's in, despite the fact that it's taken an age to make its way in past Smith, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, and again, like Henry, Henry Smith wasn't necessarily at fault with this one, but my overriding memory from that point was. We are so close, you know. You're in the highlights. You can, I think, you could even find. Um, my brother found us. Like we were so close behind it, and Henry Smith got it tight. You know, from the ref. <laughs> you know, the fans are like right on top of him, and from that point onwards, it was like, all right, there is no way we are losing this. This is like the 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 atmosphere was cranked up, um, and the Hearts didn't know what to do. Like at yeah. that point, they were they're top of the league so they've got to chase it but they just keep chasing it and they just keep ch- they keep committing bodies forward and every time they lose the ball as they inevitably do there's these like three v twos um and they at no point do they think yeah this one's this one's done we're, we're like we can't we can't chase this we can't keep committing bodies forward especially given their their main strengths were defensively and, and they just leave these giant big gaping holes and so like Paul Mason scores what, third five one.
0: minutes later it's 14 I think but um, it's another brilliant counter attack Mason latches onto a Snell just throughout. out I think he picks the ball up about twenty yards from goal and just basically runs the length of the park keeps going um, beats Dave McPherson again um, Tux has finished low past Henry Smith 3-0 one thing that really sticks out though and the highlights when you watch it back again though as well is Ian Jess makes a brilliant run Across, I think it's Alan McLaren he maybe takes away Just runs him right across the centre of the park Just opens up this gaping hole for Mason to drive into And that was another thing that Jess was exceptionally good at Even though he was brilliant on the ball His game awareness was unbelievable And The run he makes there is brilliant And then it's four, four minutes later Another counter, this time it's heelhouse who wins the ball back in the midfield Jess gets on a perfect pass from Irvin he finds Hill House again, plays an inch perfect through to Mason and his first time cut back is met by Jess. I mean, this is all done in like literally four passes from, I don't know what, 30 yards out from our goal, I think. Jess tucks it away. It's four. You must have been loving that on the tennis and
1: your mum was right. Yeah, I I mean, it was, at that point, it was a lot of Henry, what's the score? Um, There was a lot of uh, there was just a general feeling that every time that we came forward, we were going to score again. The only disappointment was we didn't, because I think it would have been, especially on that second half, hearts just absolutely crumbled. And I remember, just thinking, this is this is what you know, this is what we've been talking, uh, we've been told games could be like. I think until that point, most of the games that we'd been to had been like a narrow one 0 win. We'd been to East End Park a couple of times and won one nil. And drawn nil-nil. Are they one a, a win at Love Street uh, Jim Bet goal maybe the season previously. One one nil.
0: Yeah, in the run up to the the run yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the I, famous one. Last last gasp, Jim Bet.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Everyone believes we're gonna win the league now. Yeah. So but there hadn't but I hadn't seen any of this sort of like swashbuckling stuff that was just um a, and against a team that were 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 so heavily favored. Um yeah, I can like viscer- viscerally remember the feeling of st- and and I in my memory, like I'm pretty much right behind the nets. Like, I, you know, I, I mean, we were literally right behind the goals for each one. We did see, you know, Henry Smith have to pick the ball out the net three times in the uh, in that second half, but just that feeling of like, oh, we're going, we're going to score again. This is, we're going to get another one, and. And I think at the time, and this is a really obvious thing to say in so many ways, but like you, you just didn't appreciate. Like we we put together teams that had Ian Jess, Hans Hillhouse, and Scott Booth, and were are basically like deal with that, deal with that front three. And yeah. you know, it it wasn't a vintage season by any stretch, but there wasn't like you know just just having those those guys on the pitch together was was unreal. And when it clicked, it was exhilarating football and. There are prob there, like there are definitely there are more hotly contested matches I've seen. There are ma- matches that mattered more that I've been at. There's been games that have been more dramatic. But I remember I just remember it so fondly. I remember the car journey home, um, at, at, and it being like right. I've got the bug for this. You know, I was always a supporter. We like like I say we lived abroad, and I um I was all if people asked I was always an Aberdeen fan. But I hadn't got the bug of, like, we've got to go. We've got to go to the next game. We've got to go to the next game, wherever it is. And, and this, this was the it. game that did it, yeah.
0: yeah. And it's it's funny as well, isn't it, how these things happen? Because, like, as we touched on in the context of our season, it's a result that actually means very little. We end up staying in sixth. Um, ultimately, that's where we end the season. Willie Miller comes in, um, which is the lowest league finish for the club since 1976. So it's, you know, it's been some time coming for us to finish as low as this we touched on this as well, for Hearts, it kind of sets off a chain reaction results. So they don't win any of their next three, which sees them slip behind Rangers. They ultimately finish second, um, but but a, a big distance off of Rangers. And then they miss out on the Scottish Cup final as well. They get beat by Airdrie on penalties in a semi-final replay. So a season which promised probably a lot for Hearts going into this particular game suddenly crumbles away into nothing. So, you know, we, we can always have a good old laugh about that. Um, I had it rounded up about, like, I was going to ask again about why this game, but you've kind of answered it already, Tom, just in the sense of this was the one for you. That really
1: yeah. just- i mean there, there are there are loads of there are loads of highlights i've got that have been games i've gone to with friends or like you know european away days or games you never expected to win that you want or you know wins over rangers or whatever they might be that, that in the grand scheme of things mattered more um and maybe lived longer in the memory but the the one that gave me the bug the one that was like right we need to go I like ha- i started hassling my mum to take me to Falkirk you know nobody, <laughs> <laughs> you know can we can we go to the Falkirk game like who's up next Or oh, Dunfermline at East End Park can we go to Dunfermline please and um and it was because of this game and like my brother was there my mum was there it it's just a it's a very very happy memory but it's definitely the day that you know like I I I had a season ticket for a decade when I and I didn't live in Aberdeen. I like, lived down south and I would make a point of coming back and I think I only missed five or six games in a decade despite not living in, in, in it. And it was all... It, it, it was a kick-started because I needed to start... Going, I needed to go to football. I needed to go to the Dons game and it was because of this game.
0: I love it. This is exactly the type of thing we're looking for. We don't want to hear about Gothenburg. We don't want to hear about Biomake 83 <laughs> or Biomake 08. We want to hear... The stories that kind of either got you you know got people hooked into the dawns, or there's something funny or there's something sentimental about it so tom watt thank you for joining us for my favorite game if uh, you'd like to join us on the show to talk about your favorite game hook us up on uh twitter if it's still around um once we get this episode out or send us an email abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com with your favorite game we'll get in the show we'll chat about it we'll stick the highlights up great stuff tom thanks again thanks very much This wraps up this episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe or follow or whatever you do on your podcast player of choice. Shout out to Spotify. They seem to sort their shit out. Well done, lads. Anyway, join us next episode for episode 79, where we will look back at our clash with Ross County. We'll preview our fixture with St. Johnston on the 7th of January in the company with... Massive Saints fan, Stuart Cosgrove and Gav will we th- is there anything else we'll throw in there? Oh, that um, I've got a feeling that there might be some ongoings we need to chat about. Yeah, there might be some ongoings. We'll see how we maybe go. Some, maybe some incomings, maybe some outgoings. Yes. Maybe some outgoings. Let's leave a blank space there. Is there a Taylor Swift joke to go in there? I've got a blank space, baby. There we go. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stanford. <laughs> By the way, whoever suggested Malky Mackay or Paul Lambert for the Aberdeen gig, wise the fuck up. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a three pound pint of Foster's, four pound pint of Moretti, or five pound pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only thirty seconds walk from the nearest of stop, taking supporters to Clodagh Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!